uh, copies of God's Word to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 24 through 27. Colossians 1, 24 to 27. And uh, when you found it, please stand for the reading of God's Word, if you can. Colossians 1, 24 through 27, this is the Word of our Lord. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions... For the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mercy, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Please be seated. One night, uh, many years ago, in the town of Damascus, in the Middle East, a disciple of Christ, a man named Ananias, had a vision from the Lord. And the Lord said to Ananias, he said, Go to the home on Straight Street. And there you will find a man from Tarsus waiting for you to lay hands on him. And Ananias was appalled. The man God was ordering him to see was none other than Saul of Tarsus, the ravaging warrior against the Christian church. Ananias had reason to be afraid. It was Saul who had been a participant in the stoning and martyrdom of the Christian the beloved Christian, and first uh, deacon of the church, Stephen. Saul had watched the coats of men who stoned Stephen to death as he looked on approvingly at his killing. Saul had then ravaged the church in Jerusalem, entering house after house, dragging men and women to prison, some to never see anyone again. Saul hated Christ And thus, Saul hated Christians. He was a man on a mission. He would travel to Damascus, and he would root out anyone who professed Christ. And Ananias was red meat for Saul, and Ananias knew it. But what God revealed to Ananias to calm his fears that night was profound. And we know it from Acts 9. He said this, Go, he said, God said, for Saul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. For I will show, get this, how much he, Paul, must suffer for the sake of my name. The man, Saul, who had caused the suffering of so many Christians, was himself destined to be a suffering servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, soon to be referred to as the Apostle Paul. Years later, a Christian man named Paphras headed to Rome to join a fellow brother of Christ in prison. Epaphras was to be prison mates with the Apostle Paul. The man who had once persecuted Christians was now being sought out for his spirit-inspired wisdom and faith. Epaphras had come to know the Lord through Paul's ministry and had founded a church in a town called Colossae. Epaphras had come to Rome bringing some good news about the Colossian church, but also that the church was in potential danger from misguided doctrine and beliefs. And Paul, after bathing the church in prayer and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, began to write a letter we now know as Colossians. Paul, having just covered the magnificent scope of Christ's lordship and the work of Christ in our lives, now turns his attention in chapter 1, verse 24 through 27, to the driving passions of his ministry. And this is what we're going to cover today, the driving passions of his ministry to the church. So we're in our passage today. Let's look at those. Number one. The number one thing, uh, or number one in our text, at least today, that Paul was driving at was Paul had a joy in the Lord, even amidst suffering. 
Look at verse 24. He says this. Now I rejoice in my sufferings. The first thing that is apparent here is Paul is filled with joy. Paul was in prison. He was under house arrest in Rome. He was a Roman citizen, much like we consider ourselves American citizens as we know our rights. He was a man able to relate in a remarkable way to the Romans, to the Greeks, and to his own people, the Jews. Christ himself had appeared to Paul, calling him to be an apostle. He wanted to preach the gospel. Jesus Christ and him crucified, and yet his freedom had been taken from him. Now, this could have been an incredibly bitter experience for for Paul. He could have been angry. His pride could have overtaken him. And when, when you think of pride, it is the absolute thief of joy. When we think we are owed something and then we don't get it, pride can overwhelm us with great discontentment. The Holy Spirit had inspired Paul to write in Romans 12:3 this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. You see, when we are confronted with the Scripture... When we are confronted that we are dead in our trespasses, that we were dead men walking. And then by grace, we've been saved through Christ and nothing in ourselves. We realize the only thing we actually deserve is eternal damnation. And judgment, righteous judgment from God. But when we awaken, as Paul did, to the riches and mercies of God's grace in Christ, it overwhelms any discontentment and pride in our lives. And what it bears is the fruit of joy. Paul was rejoicing in the Lord, and not in easy times, but in the midst of suffering. And and think about what Paul had already been through. And we know what Paul went through because he told us in 2 Corinthians 11. You ready? Here's the list. And I'm sure there's many more, uh, many more things we could add. He says this, five times he received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. 39 lashes. 39. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. He faced danger from rivers, robbers, his own people, and Gentiles. Three times he was shipwrecked, night and day adrift at sea. He faced danger in the city, at sea, in the wilderness, and from false brothers. He was plagued by hunger. And thirst, and often went without food, he was found in the cold and the hot. And he struggled with anxiety for all the churches. Can you imagine having the weight of the churches you founded and then hearing about them? On top of that, and I think this was probably one of the things that made Paul struggle the most, was he faced criticism from other people in the church, his beloved church, that here he was working and ministering in the Lord Jesus Christ, and some were talking and criticizing him and rebuking him, and he knew... He knew that while he was a sinner, yes, he was an apostle of Christ. And he was pointing them to the truth. And yet, amidst all this suffering, he was, he was experiencing great joy. This is remarkable. The number two thing we see is that Paul is passionate about suffering for Christ, his church, and the gospel. Paul doesn't want to suffer just for the sake of suffering. Let's read verse 24. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Think about what he is saying. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. Paul is not saying here that there is anything deficient with Christ's saving work on the cross. Jesus said in his dying breath on the cross, it is finished. And indeed it was. The debt owed to the Father for our sin had finally been paid. But the suffering God calls us to in Christ is not over. The enemies of Christ were not satisfied and are not satisfied. Mark 13, 13 says this, and you will be hated By all, for my name's sake. We're not winning any popularity contests with the world, folks. John 15, 18 says this. If the world hates you, know that it it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you. 
as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. All these things they will do on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. When Paul was confronted on the road to Damascus by Jesus Christ himself, what did Jesus say to him? We read in Acts 9, verse 3, this. As he went on his way, Paul, or Saul, approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard the voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the voice said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Saul was persecuting Christians, and thus Saul was persecuting Christ himself. So what does Paul mean by the phrase filling up what is lacking uh, in Christ's afflictions? What he is saying is, is that he is undergoing these hardships in the place of Jesus, since Jesus is no longer here to endure them. We as Christians are called to be salt and light here on this earth so that people see our good works and give us not the glory, but Christ. And in the same way, when we suffer for Christ, we point to Christ's ultimate sacrifice on behalf of us. We are Christ's ambassadors. The glorious truth is that our suffering for him is an extension of his. When others see our sufferings in Christ, they should see Christ's sufferings for them. Powerful example of this, and uh, we've all heard this, is uh, Elizabeth and Jim Elliot. She's known worldwide, their story, and she actually went to be with the Lord last week. And uh, I was reading a recent Wall Street Journal uh, article documenting her life. And it, 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 the way that the, uh, their story played out was in 1956... They were called to uh, Ecuador to minister to the Aka Indians. And Jim Elliott and four other missionaries were killed by a group of Akas in the deepest jungles of uh, Ecuador. And after months of groundbreaking work, what had happened was the missionaries had made friendly contact with three tribal members. But no sooner than two days later did several of the warriors burst out, spears blazing, ready to kill. And what's remarkable is the missionaries were armed with weapons that could have easily done the job. But the missionaries instead fired their weapons in the air because they believed they were ready to meet their maker while the Akas were not. Elizabeth Elliot and Rachel Saint would later leave their homes to live with the tribe that had killed their husbands. Elizabeth even brought along her daughter, Valerie. As a result of their bringing Christ to the tribe, today, today, about a third of the Akas have become Christians. They might be worshiping even now. The Elliots and other Christians knew that they were called to take part in Christ's suffering for his glory to demonstrate his sacrificial love for the Akas. And now I have this question. Are we surprised When suffering comes, are we surprised by it? We shouldn't be because Scripture gives us a clear message of suffering. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. What a joy and a privilege it should be for us to suffer for Christ. It's estimated that around 100,000 Christians give their life for Christ every year. And it might be much more than that. Ah, but what about America? Ah, the worst thing that seems to happen is the AC goes out one Sunday. That is appalling. I'll tell you. Uh, 
get this, I had to preach in the basement of a church in Gastonia the other week, because uh, in the basement, not in the sanctuary, because bees had driven us out. The gall of those bees was just unbelievable. But we know, but, ser- but in all seriousness, let's talk for a minute where we are here and now in America. We know that the Bible says we will suffer for Christ. And that certainly does not always mean at the point of a gun or persecution that leads to death. In America, we're seeing uh, an enormous cultural shift take place, particularly in the arena of family and so-called gay marriage. The Supreme Court, as you know, on uh, Friday overturned some 30 state marriage amendments and declared, uh, declared gay marriage as the newest right of the land. And what's interesting is I, I, was, I was reading through some of the dissenting arguments, those that did not agree with the gay marriage ruling. And this is what our, our Chief Justice, John Roberts, said. And he sounded this warning. Hard questions arise when people of faith exercise religion in ways that may seem to conflict with this new right to same-sex marriage. When example, a religious college provides married student housing only to opposite-sex married couples, or a religious adoption agency declines to place children with same-sex couples, this is the statement that was amazing to me, people of faith can take no comfort in the treatment they receive from the, the majority decision today. Justice Alito said the ruling will be used to vilify Americans who are unwilling to assent to the new orthodoxy. What he and Robert said should be no surprise to us, given what Scripture tells us. The world is no friend of Christ and his word. Throughout America and state after state, from Christian flower shop owners to photographers to bakers and wedding venue owners, many have been threatened or forced to close because of their Christian beliefs. In Washington State, florist uh, Sussman was penalized $1,000 for declining to support a same-sex wedding with her floral talents. And the judge ruling in the case has opened her personal savings, personal possessions, and everything up for the lawsuit. In New Mexico, a court ordered that a photographer could not refuse, could not, to use her talents to memorialize a homosexual wedding. pastor in Canada was fined $5,000 for writing a letter against homosexuality. And... For biblical marriage. The point being is this. We need to be ready for suffering and not surprised by the fact the world stands against the word of God and Christians. We, we need to prepare our hearts and those of our children to expect suffering in this life. And, and what an opportunity we now have more than ever in America right here to proclaim the word of God, to speak truth in love, even when it's not popular, all while demonstrating Christ amidst our suffering. The third thing that Paul tells us today is this. Uh, His passion is, in Colossians 1, is to make the word of God fully known and the mystery hidden for generations but now revealed. Now look at verse 27. He says this, How great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is this. Ready for the mystery? Revealed. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now can you believe this truth? Christ in us, pagans, Gentiles, non-Jews, The truth that God actually wants to graft us into the promise of Abraham and make us heirs with Christ and the Son of God actually dwells within us. As Scripture says, do you not know, beloved, in Christ you are God's temple and God's Spirit actually dwells within you? For we have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer we who live, but what? Christ who lives in us. The God of the universe sent his son to pay the ultimate penalty for you and me so that everyone who believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we were healed. And this Christ then 
dwells within his former enemy, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And what this means for us here and now should be indescribable joy. Joy even in suffering. Now, I know in this room, we're not facing persecution like other Christians around the world. But there is great suffering among us. And I believe that whether it's persecution or suffering caused by sickness or death of a loved one or some great tragedy in your lives, the same principles apply. And the questions are the same. They are this. Are you going to trust Jesus Christ and his sovereignty and love? Are you going to cling alone to him for your hope? If our ultimate hopes and dreams are in our jobs or in our 401ks or in our pensions, whatever that is, or in our retirement or in the United States dollar or what people think of us, or if we desire to be somebody or something, we are putting our trust in things that the moths will eat and the rusts will decay. Personal story, um, when I met my wife, uh, I was a legislative assistant to a congressman on Capitol Hill. And uh, it was a very enjoyable time in my life. I began to even pray uh, prayers that the Lord would make me into a follower of Christ he wanted me to be. And that was dangerous. Uh, April and I got married, but... Uh, things changed dramatically after we got married. Uh, I left Capitol Hill for a political job uh, that where I was absolutely miserable. Uh, I was not treated well there at all. I then uh, lost that job after the candidate I was working for lost his election. The Great Recession hit. My wife was involved in a car accident that totaled our vehicle. And uh, I found myself a job on the bottom rung uh, of which I, I truly absolutely hated. Now, trials were stirring, and albeit these are very small trials compared to what some of you face. But instead of looking at these trials as an opportunity to grow in my trust for Christ, as He was my hope of glory, I was consumed with bitterness and anger. Now, uh, as if that wasn't enough, there was this truck I had. It was a 1992 Ford Ranger. And uh, I, had, I had to buy it because my, uh, the, the total vehicle accident. And so it, it was in near perfect condition, and it was $1,600, and it was old, but I liked it. And it was the only thing we could afford. Well, one day it happened. My wife, my dear wife, was backing out when she backed into the left fender of my truck, and it did some major damage. It left a gaping dent. Well, uh, I was not happy. I started lecturing her on driving tips and safety and looking at the rearview mirror. But all, all of this was selfishness. I didn't want to drive a dinged-up truck. We had no money to fix it. Well, and then it happened. One day, several days later, I heard it. It was metal on metal. Now, I had gotten smart, and I had moved the truck back away in a different position and parked it differently. But my wife that day found it. She didn't find the left fender, she found the right fender. I now had a truck, and it was equally dented on both sides. And it was bad dents, y'all. Folks, this happened four times. Are you all feeling me right now? Four times. I kid you not. Same exact thing. I'd hear a terrible metal bang. I'd go out, and a piece of my truck would be lying there. One day, several weeks later, I was driving along, it was pouring rain, I was tailgating, I was going to a miserable job that I couldn't stand, I was driving a truck I had grown bitter about, I was tailgating, and they stopped in front of me, I didn't have time to stop, I smashed into them, knocking the teeth out of my truck, and bending the hood. And it, it, was, it was really a Trinitarian knockout. All three sides of my truck had been smashed in. And just to humble myself, uh, just, I'm sure, to humble me further, it ran perfectly. This terribly beat-up truck. <laughs> when I went through neighborhoods in this truck, women would clutch their children. They thought I was... Who know what? Who knows? You know what? I can say this now. I'm grateful for those trials. 
because what it did, among other things, was expose a couple things. It exposed my incredible pride, my lack of joy when sufferings hit, some of them I caused, by the way, and how my hope wasn't in Christ, but in temporary things like my profession, what I drove, and status. And do not take what I'm saying is that working hard in your job or working to improve your situation is a bad thing or driving nice, beautiful cars is wrong or repairing a head shouldn't be done. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about what we place our hope in. We are but a vapor in this life, but it is Jesus Christ in us that is our hope of glory. All other things will fade, rust and wither. And that is why Paul could rejoice in suffering. He was proclaiming the hope of glory, and he understood that the God of the universe indwelled within him. He said, for me to live is Christ. To die is what? Gain. Gain. He could rejoice now with Christ in him. He could rejoice that death would bring him face to face with his Savior and into the light of glory. Either way, Christ was getting magnified in his life. And Paul was reaping in joy. Was reaping the joy. So in closing, the most powerful man in Paul's day was a man named Nero. And the contrast between their lives was remarkable. Nero had, by earthly standards, all the world had to offer. He had power, fame, fortune, Multiple homes, prestige. The emperor who reigned during Apostle Paul's prison time took the throne at 17 years of age and had his mother and wife killed during his time in power. He was a flagrant adulterer. When a great fire started in Rome, Nero placed the blame squarely on Christians and ordered the torture of many for their faith. It was thought that Nero had Paul beheaded and Peter crucified. A self-absorbed, capricious ruler to the end, Nero committed suicide shortly after the execution of Paul. His entire empire was in rebellion against him, including the Senate. And then we look at Paul. Imprisoned under house arrest, bearing the scars of the multiple floggings, struggling against his thorn in the flesh, Having been chosen by God to bear the sufferings of Christ, there was Paul rejoicing in the Lord. And when the death sentence came several years later, and Paul faced the death penalty, his last act of suffering for Christ, we can only imagine what he was thinking. But it could have simply been one word. Gain. Let's pray. Father God, Lord Jesus Christ, you are our hope of glory. And how we are amazed that you would dwell within your children. That, Father, you have called us to be salt and light through our suffering. Father, we pray for those who are suffering today, who are going through tremendous trials. And we ask, Lord, that you would comfort them that you would give them grace, that you would give them mercy, and that their suffering would be done for your glory in Christ. So, Father, now we ask all these things in your precious name. Amen. Please stand with us as we respond with the Holy Spirit, living breath of God. How does Christ come in us through the Holy Spirit? Let us pray.
remain standing and if you take out your bulletins and the song sheet as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper we're going to confess uh, according to the larger catechism I will read the questions and let us together uh, read the answers who is the mediator of the covenant of grace the only mediator of the covenant of grace is the Lord Jesus Christ who being eternal son of God, of one substance and equal with the Father, in the fullness of time became a man, and so was and continues to be God and man, in two entire distinct natures, one person forever. How did Christ humble himself in his life? Christ humbled himself in his life by subjecting himself to the law, which he perfectly fulfilled, and by conflicting with the indignities of the world, temptations of Satan, the infirmities of his flesh, whether common to the nature of man or particularly accompanying that his low condition. How did Christ humble himself in his death? Christ humbled himself in his death in that being betrayed by Judas, forsaken by his disciples, scorned and rejected by the world, condemned by Pilate, and tormented by his persecutors, having also conflicted with the terrors of death, the powers of darkness, felt and borne the weight of God's wrath. He laid down his life as an offering for sin, enduring the pain, shameful, and cursed death on the cross. Amen. You may be seated. In Luke 24, Jesus tells his disciples on that last supper that he had uh, earnestly desired to partake with them. He said uh, in Luke 24:15, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Before he suffered, before his body was broken and his blood was spilled, and he suffered for our freedom, for our salvation, he reminded them that these elements remind us of what he did, that his body was broken, that his blood was spilled, and that we get to commune with him in the partaking and the rememberings of this. We get to commune with God, and we get to commune with each other. He unites him us to himself and reconciling us and making us part of the family. And he unites us one with each other as the body of Christ. And when we suffer, we remember that we belong to him. That sometimes we're called to go through those same steps as Peter and Paul and so many others have gone before us. So as we remember these things, let us partake of this supper together This is a supper that is for those that are identified with Christ, that belong to him. It is his supper, not Redeemer's supper, not mine, but Christ. And if you belong to him, you're committed to an evangelical church, this supper is for you. To partake, to remember his death and his resurrection. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, as we heard today, uh, Christ suffered for us. And sometimes we are called to suffer uh, as your body. As we take this bread and eat this, uh, eat this, and as we share this cup and drink this, let us be reminded of your death until you come again and share it once again in your glorious kingdom. Amen.
Chosen bread. 
for all those who might be feeling persecuted by your faith or all those who might be feeling broken or suffering, for all those who are poor and powerless, and for all those who feel content. We have but one response, and that's to know that he is holy and we can trust him. Please stand with us as we close. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before his presence in his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all times, now and forevermore. Amen.
scream it from the mountains. Go on and tell it to the masses. 